Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Leah Alyssa, and I should have asked your name before we started. I'm going to mispronounce it here. Bayer? Bayer? Bayer. 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 Okay, Leah Alyssa Bayer. I apologize for that. She is the founder and managing director of the architecture startup EVIA Studio. It's spelled E-V-I-A, an award-winning, 100% women-led, 100% virtual team of diverse professionals spread across the country who are passionate about creating exceptional and healthy living spaces for everyone. First registered in 2017 in California, Leah is licensed to practice in California, Hawaii, and Washington, and is based out of home offices in Palo Alto, California, and Bellingham, Washington, while EBS Studio serves clients throughout the Pacific states. Passionate about business leadership, Leah is a treasurer of AIA Silicon Valley, founding chair of the Practice Leadership Roundtable, and advisor to AIA Nationals Center for Practice. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here and chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, especially with the good internet connection like we were talking yeah. about. No lag, no lag in the conversation. Um, before, we, before we get a deep dive, into some of the things um, that you wanted to talk about and I wanted to ask you about. Maybe, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about your background, what led you to architecture, and then what led you to found your own firm? Well, the origin story. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm like a lot of people where there were signs as a child that this might be what I ended up doing. I was not a Lego person, but I was a fort builder as a kid. I just loved building forts. Yeah. Mostly the idea was that I like to create space. So for me, it was really more about the internal place to share with friends and pets and family, um, as opposed to the visual, which sort of speaks to what I do now, interestingly enough. Um, So yeah, I went to Cal Poly for architecture. Uh, I started in architectural engineering, thinking that I would be ambitious and double major and do it all. And that was a mistake. (laughs) So I spent a good decade at Cal Poly, uh, first in engineering and then architecture and fine art. So I've got a diverse background there. And then when I graduated, I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew it wasn't quite traditional practice as an architect, but that I knew I needed to become licensed. So I started practicing in a small firm in Mountain View, uh, California doing mostly custom residential and multifamily work there and actually really enjoyed myself and was able to take on a lot of responsibility, which I think tends to happen in smaller firms. So it was, it was great um, getting to see how an architecture firm was really run. So I had experience managing businesses before that in different industries. And so being able to apply that knowledge to architecture uh, was great and sort of came to the realization that that's really what I wanted to do was to manage an architecture business um, and build a really brilliant team. So I left there and practiced at Perkins and Will for about a year to see what it was like in a much larger firm. Uh, Had some great advice from mentors of mine that I should probably experience a little bit more before going off on my own, which was great advice. And then as soon as the right project and right client came along, uh, it was pretty obvious it was time to jump and made the jump about two and a half years ago, which almost feels like it's been a decade already, but um, it's it's been great and building a team and building a portfolio ever since then. 
What about, tell me about the other businesses that you worked, you managed before that, that maybe kind of primed you for this. So my, both of my parents were, uh, were business owners. My dad ran a medical practice. And so I had a hand in helping with that as a kid, which, you know, when you have children, you get free child labor. So I got to see the ins and outs of what that looked like. And then in 2001, my mom and I and my sister moved up to Washington and she started a boutique. So I helped with sort of the business planning of that and running that training people, uh, assisting her. She was the business owner. Uh, but then uh, in college, I ended up taking a part-time position just to pay for my tuition as a receptionist in a medical office, a physical therapy office. And within a few months was quickly uh, promoted to the business uh, practice manager um, because it was just sort of a natural thing for me to go in and start evaluating their systems and looking at where there's inefficiencies or redundancies and how I could help improve. Um, and we ended up doubling our, doubling our staff size within a few months and then doubling again and needing to move into a, a space that was twice the size. And then we purchased the place next to us. So it was really fun for me to see how I can help a business grow um, just intuitively from, I think, my background with my parents. Um, yeah, and then jumping into architecture had a similar experience. So Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, my mom and dad had no business experience, so I was truly winging it. Uh, so I'm a, little, I'm a little jealous of you for that. Uh, so you already mentioned you celebrated two years in April, April of this last year. Um, one of the, but the interesting part that you mentioned in your notes to me was you all met together for the first time in January. Yes. But tell me about, like, first of all, how did you start a virtual firm? And then, um, and are you the co are you the sole owner? Because I know eventually you want to you want to move it into employee owned, but right now you're the sole owner. Correct. And okay, so all right, so then how did you how did you assemble a virtual team? And then what was that like to finally you guys finally meet for the first time? Long lost friends, probably obviously. <laughs> So yeah, it, it, meeting for the first time was wonderful. Um, the way that it started, one of my mentors actually has a virtual practice that she's run for over a decade now. Uh, and I met and learned of a, a couple other businesses that had done things similarly. Um, hers were still local, but there was no office. And I I had worked remotely for both Perkins and Will and the first firm that I uh, worked in and just saw an opportunity there to offer a lot more flexibility um, for people with families or people with other responsibilities or just lifestyles that operated differently. And having been involved in uh, the women in architecture and sort of equity-based groups with the AIA and NCARB have heard a lot of stories about people who have difficulties with the schedules or the pressures of, you know, being required to be in an office for X amount of time. And that's really how you're being judged. And that doesn't quite make sense to me. So I wanted to create a space that would accommodate for uh, different types of people with different backgrounds um, and different schedules, just uh, a diverse group of people. And I thought that a virtual firm would be a great way to do that because it would allow that flexibility for people to live their lives the way that they want to. Um, and be the professionals that we really are. Uh, so I, I modeled it based off of what I had seen other people doing, uh, and then just started thinking about what I wanted, how I could combine that system, which is traditionally based off of sort of 1099 contract workers, um, and 
combine it with the feeling and culture of a, a traditional based firm that actually has, you know, an employee system and uh, multiple principles and running it with those types of benefits. Can I combine those two? And there's really no reason not to. So that's what we're working towards. So for now, I'm the sole owner and founder, but the idea is to grow and expand into an employee-owned business uh, and really have a core group of principal leaders that are managing different uh, sectors and specialties, and then a much larger pool of sort of contract employees that then move into leadership positions if they'd like to, or just stay flexibly contract if they want to. Yeah, a very interesting model. A super interesting model. I assume you're a millennial, like like myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, I, and I think that's, um, other generations like to point at us in a bad way and we like to point at them in a bad way. So I like to point at us in a positive way. And I think that us, you know, we, we, we're such big technology people. We've grown up with, with it, especially if you're a, if you're a millennial, which is really interesting, or like a Z millennial, then you kind of transition and you've seen both. But mm-hmm. how, how, how does sales work for you then? So you're the sole owner. Do you get all the work and then divvy it out basically? I do for now, but um, so at that leadership retreat, we started to talk about the um, different responsibilities that I expect of myself and of the team and what everyone is interested in. And um, to my pleasant surprise, everybody in the group uh, expressed interest in business development Mm -hmm. and sales and that part of it as well. Uh, I have a really well-rounded team. Everybody's pretty diverse, but they're all interested in every aspect of the business. So we've set up a a system now, and this year we're testing it out to see how it goes to get everybody's feet wet in that sales process um, with a a percentage award, sort of a commission for bringing in a project. Um, So I don't have all the pressure of doing that myself, although I am still sort of the main person that's running the marketing and sales currently. But the idea is that everybody would sort of take an effort in that and fill that role that a traditional principal would, which is bringing in work. Following your your lead of having a virtual firm then, how much of your marketing is, is it online only? Are you put, putting out like Google ads? How do, how do you guys tackle it? So? Mm-hmm. We, uh, we do mostly online. Um, I have done Google ads. I have done Facebook ads, which are also Instagram and tracked both of those. They seem to have a similar amount of traffic running to the website, but I think the Facebook, Instagram ads had more leads that converted into signing up for consultations than the Google ads did. Um, I've also tried sort of those paid per lead types of sites. I haven't gone into Home Advisor or House because I've heard horror stories about yeah. those. And they seem to be more expensive. Um, I tried Bark, which it's because they were spamming my email constantly oh, okay. with uh, new projects. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try this out because the, the cost per lead was pretty low. But it seems to be, I'm not convinced that they're real clients. I, I don't really know what's happening on that site. So I, oh, no, I no, I, I have a conspiracy theory too. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah, I mean, it, 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 we've had, we, we, our big thing is Thumbtack and uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really worked well for us. Like I, but we were one of the first adopters and, you know, we stayed heavy at it, but even at a certain point there, I had, there was, it just seemed a little fishy at certain points. And I think they worked those systems out, but I, but I hear you about that. How about I was more? just going to say, oh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, go, no, no, go ahead. Two weeks ago, I signed up on Thumbtack because I've noticed that some of the members, I think you were on there uh, and commenting on it in one of the posts on Entre Architect. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth a shot, but you really got to build up your profile. 
if you can, oh, get, yeah. if you can get the previous yeah. clients to come over and give you the five-star reviews, that is so critical. Yeah. Um, I will it, say since signing up, I've had over a dozen, and this is like two weeks. I haven't done much with it, but over a dozen leads that have turned into consultations. And then more than half of those have turned into proposals and a couple are um, signing up and uh, starting this week. So it's see? been great. It's not just me. Everybody no. else who's listening, it's not just me. Aaliyah's making it happen too. I'm telling you, I really want to get to be a sponsor of this podcast. I've been working hard on that um, because I just think they do a good job. Yeah. Uh, what I was, what I was going to say before we got off on the t- thumbtack tangent was loyalty. Um, how do, do you, I'll actually just kind of put words in your mouth here, but do you think that they, is your idea, part of your idea that to do virtual and give them this kind of flexibility? So I love when you said, so they can live their own lives like that. I'm such a freedom guy that I just really, that really spoke to my heart. Is that, do you think that will help build loyalty? Is that where you're going with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when you, when you build that level of sort of trust and confidence and transparency, um, then any issue that arises that somebody might be having with their position, uh, it's a lot easier to have that dialogue and address upfront. People don't feel like they can't talk to you about things that are going wrong. Um, I also make a big effort to check in with my team members. We have uh, biweekly check-ins just to talk about their career path and adjust what they're working on, um, what their role is to try and figure out what that looks like because we're still quite young. But so far, everybody that uh, we've hired onto the team, we have kept. So I've got 100% retention. It's still a small team, but I feel really proud about that. Mm -hmm. And everyone has expressed wanting to stay on this team long term. Uh, We've dabbled with an idea of setting a sort of minimum or standard salary for everybody so that we have um, equality across the board. It's really simple. And then rewarding people for loyalty longer term by giving them additional uh, equity in the company. And so there are, you know, rewards and mechanisms that I'd like to put in place above and beyond just offering the flexibility for loyalty to the team. But we're already seeing uh, that this has had a positive impact on our team members' lives and that they'd like to continue in this fashion. And so I do, I think I'll see a higher percentage of retention um, than traditional firms that sort of you know, churn and expect and demand a lot without giving a lot in return. Well, one thing that I think I'd, I would want, I would ask the audience to not glance over that you brought up that I found kind of making it, cinching it up for me anyway, is just, try, just trying to playfully be a skeptic about this is that uh, how do you, like, how do you have that personal contact? And you talked about a biweekly meeting. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good idea that you're doing that, obviously. Um, that, that kind of answered an, a question I was going to answer before I, I think that's pretty important so yeah. I, I hope it works out because I think it's a really I think it's an interesting model indeed and then is that how you ended up winning I, I would see that you won the 2019 CBG architectural business plan competition with this with this whole idea uh, it's interesting because this is a portion of the business plan so the the plan submitted is for Evia which is just the Evia corporation which is sort of an umbrella <clears throat> corporation vision and the studio is one component of it Um, the eventual long-term goal is that it has multiple different facets. One of them is this sort of architecture engineering department. Uh, One of them is an architect as developer component. Uh, Another is a tech component. So we have started the architecture studio because that's what I know best. And this year we were 
planning to start connecting with developers and proposing, um, you know, sharing a percentage of our profits in exchange for equity on development so that we can start getting our feet wet and looking into what that looks like. But with the way things have been going, uh, we've had to sort of change our plans this year and reevaluate our strategic planning in the future. So holding off on that for now. Uh, but the goal is within the next three to five years to start developing our own work. Um, and we're currently working on framework for a technology platform. I hired a software engineer who's working on our team um, to start building that as well. So the overall business plan that uh, that won that award was for I think that multifaceted plan and not so much the details of the oh, studio okay. itself. Yeah, I love it. I love the multi-pronged approach. I mean, we that's that's our whole thing is yeah. as many as many legs on the stool as you can stand on because you know what it's like as as, a, as again a millennial where you've seen like. Our generation has seen these back-to-back, -back, you know, first it was a great recession and now we're in this thing. And we still don't know how this thing is going to pan out as far as the economy goes. So we just keep getting riplash and I just can't. So if everybody's listening, do what Leah's doing, do, do what we've been preaching over and over again about as many different streams of income as you can do. Um, I think it's important. If they fail, they fail, right? Uh, you, you tried it. Uh, I think it's always an adventure for sure. Um, so, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, right. It's always yeah, as an entrepreneur. It's fun. Like you're designing businesses. That's the way yeah. I think about it. Yeah. You know? um, and there's nothing like, I don't know if some people think that it's uncreative to have, like business is creative. It's a hundred percent creative. Every single facet of it is creative. How you deal with clients is creative, right? Yeah. Um, tell me about, uh, right. So you're looking, it sounds like you're going to do a long-term collaboration um, with a local firm for, mm -hmm. for some affordable housing project types. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting development that we didn't foresee, but is really exciting for us. Um, so one thing that came up during our retreat, our, where we all met each other for the first time in January, uh, was that we, you know, we all hadn't talked about values or gotten into a deep discussion about personal beliefs, and we're a little bit timid about getting into that, but I thought it was important for us to lay it all out on the table um, and start charting a path together. It turned out we all have very similar values, uh, which is great. That was the intention in hiring the team, but uh, found out that that's the case. And one thing that we all believe in is having a greater impact as architects in the community. And so part of the struggle that we had with doing mostly custom single family homes is that it's, it's, it's a much smaller level of impact working for people that can generally afford to do really beautiful custom homes and not serving people that can't afford that service that we'd like to serve. So we weren't sure how that would work out, um, if we would try to get into a different project type or if we would just sort of wait and see how we can uh, take on projects of that down the road as we continued on the current path that we were on. And one of our team members ended up um, taking a position. She's sort of a part-time consultant that does high-level technical reviews of her plans, took a job for a local firm full-time um, until we have enough work for her to work full-time for us and was very transparent with that team about that arrangement and they were fine with it, which is great. And they are a really well-known firm that's been established in the Bay Area for a long time doing solely affordable housing and housing now for the uh, formerly homeless, which is sort of a new model for them. And she proposed to them in this transition, they were a very traditional firm, didn't have any systems for working remotely, um, didn't know how to to adapt when everybody needed to work from home. And she offered uh, for me to train them and sort of help them develop their virtual systems 
uh, start them getting into Revit and using BIM 360 so they can work collaboratively remotely and in exchange potentially have us work on a contract basis on some of their projects because they had too much work. And so I met with a firm owner and it was just this great synergy. We all had similar values and actually really similar backgrounds. Uh, we went to the same school, um, had some of the sort of same multidiscipline background and different in, uh, fields. And so it just was a great fit. Um, and we've been working with them for the past couple months on a, an affordable housing uh, project that is 50% housing for the formerly homeless. And it's gone really well. I mean, just transitioning them into this virtual firm out of necessity and having them see how well it works and projecting what that might look like in the future has allowed us to sort of seamlessly partner with them as an extension of their team without too much effort. Um, and they've loved it. So we're gonna continue working with them you know, indefinitely. I'm not sure what that looks like, but we're just having sort of conversations, big picture over the next few months about what that might mean. Yeah. Can you speak to either their experience in moving to virtual and you've already, you've already always been there, but are there mm -hmm. any, are there any gripes that people have had, even yourself? I mean, because we, we did it for a while too, obviously. And uh, I'm on the road a lot. So I'm always zooming or FaceTiming with people anyway. I mean, we're kind of half there, but is there anything that you do where you're like, well, there is, it's not perfect. You know, pointing to things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small thing. Um, pointing is, is a challenge. You know, with all the technologies that we have, even with screen sharing and marking things up with pens and stuff, just being able to like point to something is a mm -hmm. great that I have and that they have. Um, I think also the adoption of technology by some of their senior staff has been a little bit okay. slower, whereas they didn't necessarily have to work in um, the software and programs that their production team members were working in as principals, they could sort of hand sketch and come by a desk and have that conversation. They're learning and adapting the best way to do that. Um, so I think that that's been a little bit slow. Also figuring out how to take their system, which is based in Microsoft. Uh, they have, you know, Microsoft Teams, OneDrive, all of that, mm -hmm. getting that set up and connecting to us where everything is Google based. That's been a challenge too. Okay. So fitting systems together when they don't necessarily align and that just them having to learn how to use that, I think has, has been the biggest challenge. Um, but long-term, interestingly enough, most of their team commutes pretty far already. And one of them a couple of years ago had quit because they were just tired of yeah. it. And now that their remote is back working with them. Um, so I think long-term there's a lot of benefits for their team that they're starting to see. Oh, 100%. I'm with you there. We have a couple of employees that drive up from Denver, which is, for us, it's about 30 miles south. But um, before COVID, traffic was really sticky and it takes maybe an hour. So people get burnt out. And we actually voluntarily, even like a couple of years ago, you know, one of one, two of the employees who said, you can just stay home for a day. Like just one, you have flex week or flex day. It's all good. And, and that really kind of took some of the, the pressure and the anxiety off, I think, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, there there are so many positives about it for sure. But pointing, yeah, I love that you were just a <laughs> point blank answer, pun intended, because uh, I would agree with you. It's like we have clients sometimes around Zoom meetings now and there, and the wife or the husband has to remind uh, yep. that the other one, like they like can't they see. can't see what you're pointing at. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> happens all the time. It's a good it's a good uh, icebreaker though, kind of in the middle of a meeting where yeah. maybe it's getting uncontentious about something, you know. Right. So I don't know, but it's funny. 
it's just a weird situation and we're all moving through it. Um, tell me a little bit about this idea about shifting from services uh, to products and how you guys, it sounds like maybe you were hourly before and now you're going to go to fix and just focus on deliverables. How's that? Unpack that for us. Yeah. So it's, it's another quality of, um, you know, the, the team's workflow and process and enjoyment in what they're doing. Um, so internally, that's a driver. And then externally having our clients understand and appreciate and value what we do. Um, so internally, what that means is I, I would much prefer that my team is focused on the quality of their work, uh, of that deliverable and when it's due rather than how much time they're putting into a project, either to bill enough time or not billing too much time. Uh, and that's been an issue everywhere. And of course you need to understand how much it takes to do a job. And so that's why we started hourly <clears throat> to really understand how much does it take for our firm to do what we need to do. Uh, but once we figured that out, we've now moved to setting fixed fees on all projects. Uh, so we have an understanding of a baseline and then very clear scope written out for that fixed fee. Anything else above and beyond is an additional service. Even there, I'd like to have additional services set at a fixed fee for additional work as opposed to doing additional on an hourly basis, which is, I think, more traditional. We're not there yet, so I'm going to test the fixed plus hourly and then go into full fixed. Um, so that's, that's better for us. We can focus more on you know, what, what we're producing and be more efficient in what we're producing. So if we do something over and over and over again and get better and better and better at it, I don't want to be penalized because we're spending less time on it. Yes. We should be rewarded for that. Yeah. I, I think just for my, I, so we're, we, we're on our 10th year, you're on your second. And I can tell you, you, you didn't do anything wrong. Not that you're even asking me, but from going from <laughs> hourly up to fixed, that is exactly how we did it. And so I have a question for you on that note then, because I noticed a big difference once we were selling ourselves. Do you find that clients now, if you're selling them on fixed fees, that it's, it's a better um, is it easier? Like, is it an easier sell for you? Because they're just like, oh yeah, they just cut and cut and dry. This is what it's going to be. Um, so sometimes it depends on the client. Some clients really appreciate that transparency. We've also set not only a fixed fee, but like a fixed schedule. So you know exactly how much you're paying us each month. And that's so that we get paid first and then we do the work. We're not getting paid afterwards. Um, so they appreciate sort of seeing that schedule and what's to come, what's to expect. There are some people that still have sticker shock with the total cost of fees, you know, and, and by doing hourly, you can sometimes hide that and give a more rough or vague estimate. And I've seen firms that will do that. And so competing against another firm that doesn't really have a very robust or straightforward fixed fee that is honestly what it's going to cost the client to do it, that's hard. Um, but I'd rather work with people that are that their expectations um, are set correctly from the beginning. Yes. Because you know, inevitably, if you cave and you set it up, you know, in a, in a way where you're not fully transparently disclosing what it's going to cost, you're going to have those arguments and issues later once you get to the bill. And I don't want to deal with that. Oh, it's just like a baggage. It's almost like getting into a relationship with a ton of baggage you have no idea about. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly about that. Yeah. Um, bravo for, for, for moving, moving in that direction. I, I do think it, cause the incentive, and I don't want to glance over this again, for everybody to reiterate what Leah said was why, if you get, and you should be getting better, right? You're going to, your team should be getting better at Revit. 
you should have more, I know we, people don't like to use this term, but standard details, but details where you're just going to tweak them, repeat them. Um, maybe there's even designs that you guys are kind of repeating if you're going to do a franchise work. Why should yep. you be penalized for that? That That's where you start to actually increase the fat of the profit. Yeah. Yep. So super important internally. And then externally, <laughs> I what I have found odd is that as architects, we, we do a lot of work on the back end. Um, there's a lot of research that goes into preparing a project. There's a lot of sketching, a lot of sort of looking at references, a lot of process. And a client doesn't necessarily see all of that. And if they do, it's not packaged in a way that they truly understand. So you're leading through this process blind and saying, trust me, trust me, it's going to work out great in the end. And so you do have to build a lot of trust and demand a lot of patience out of your client for a long period of time, depending on the project type years, right? Before you actually get to a permanent and then they're like, okay, we got the product that we've been asking for. So what I am working on and have been working on, and we have a couple of them set up, is just taking the work that we naturally do as architects and putting it into a presentation and format for uh, a client that they understand, that speaks their language, uh, that has images that they get. It's not just like construction documents that are not intended for a client, those are intended for your contractor. So translating that into um, a package for sort of each phase that we've identified that deserves a deliverable package that we can then sort of sell as a standalone service to a client individually if they'd just like to do a particular phase with us. So it builds quicker trust and uh, satisfaction and enjoyment from the client to be able to like have a tangible thing that we're giving them with each phase along the way as opposed to waiting until the end. Um, and we found that it's something they're really proud of. So we have a client, we were just delivering these in PDF. Uh, and one of my clients was like, I need this I need a hard copy of this. It's a book. Like I want to share all this with all my neighbors. I want to show my real estate agent. I want to show my contractor. Can I have two copies of this? So I have one and one I can share around. And I was like, that's awesome. So then it becomes just free marketing for us that they're giving this deliverable and package that we created of work. We already do. We just put it in a nicer format mm -hmm. um, to, sh to show really the true value of working with an architect, what we actually do in the back end for the client, how important it is. Um, so I, I've been having a lot of fun. Uh, we're just getting to a point where we're understanding the cost of each of those packages and what those services are, and we'll probably take another year or so of tweaking that, but um, it's, it, we've seen a lot of payoff with happy clients so far. Yeah, setting up a system like that, man, you are setting yourself up for success. I just think you'll be able to, as long as you keep delivering good service, and it sounds like you do, you'll just explode, honestly. I mean, I really, you know, there's... Nobody, there's so much of the public doesn't know what an architect does and they don't know how much it costs. And I hear you have the sticker shock. I've had multiple ones this past couple of weeks and some not so much. I mean, but that's, you know, that's an issue. So the more professionals like us that are doing this and then the more professionals that hear us and what we're doing like this, I, I actually don't think it's going to be an AIA changing the profession and how the public views it. I think it has to be people like us making mm -hmm. it happen. So, so uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, a, a few just kind of last minute questions I want to ask you. Um, you are an all woman firm. Yeah. And um, we are mainly, just so you know, we are mainly male firm. And one of the questions that I've, <coughs> I've gotten asked before, so I want to ask it to you, mm -hmm. is say a man comes to your guys' website and he sees that it's entirely women. Entirely women owned, entirely women operated, and accuses you of lack of diversity as it yeah. applies to gender. What do you tell him? 
Yeah, you know, we talked about that at the retreat too. Um, and it's a similar conversation that comes up with the women in architecture in the, our local AIA chapter. We've wanted tra to transition into a full EDI chapter uh, committee. And there's this hesitancy because finally there's a space where women are being recognized and sort of giving equal opportunity and it feels really good. And while we have enjoyed that initially as a small team building up this strong group of women leaders, we also all recognize that that's really limiting. It's not something that we wanna do long-term. We don't expect to continue to only seek out and it wasn't really seeking out all women. It just happened that we all sort of were connected to each other in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't expect that we'll look like that much longer. We hope to continue to grow and hopefully double in the next year or so. Um, but in the meantime, I've had people ask, you know, are you all women? Do you hire men? I've had a, a men ask if they could apply. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I just care about how good your work is and how you fit with our team. And that's what matters. And if you become the first dude, then that's great. Like, wonderful. Um, but I do think we're turning away probably men that see that we're all women and might be a little turned off by that. I think yeah. that probably happens. It's similar with women. On the flip side, we've had women come to us and say, I want to work with you because all of the architects out there that I see are men and I want to work with a woman. I feel more comfortable. So it's hard. You know, we want to serve people that might feel that way um, and give them a space where they feel like they can communicate on a, a different level because it's just the reality of how things are. But at the same time, I don't want to exclude anybody. That's not the intent. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard. It's a tough it's a tough question. It's a nope. tough thing to answer. Uh, that was that was a really good answer, and and I, your answer is is exactly like my answer, because we have we have gotten some nasty emails before out of nowhere, yeah. and it's the way we started our firm is much the same as yours. Is it was just through connections and mm -hmm. and people that were available, and and when we needed somebody, well, it, the person that could move the quickest or come it was either a male or they were just more qualified. And that's how it, that's how it landed. But we've had the same experiences you have too, where um, we are, um, we, we have, we've had now three female employees, our bookkeeper is female, our social media manager is female, our realtor is female, like uh, all of our interior design uh, people that we work with, like, you know, there's been uh, insulators on our job sites when we're contractors that are female, which is, which has been super cool. So what I want to, why I wanted to ask you that Leah is because I wanted people to hear from maybe both of us that like, I don't know why we're still having to say this in 2020, but you know, stop judging books by their cover because mm -hmm. there's something much deeper than that. And then to recognize also then sort if we're on, we're not intentionally doing this, it's, uh, it's all organically coming together like this, but then you, that for everybody else to recognize that, well then, then there's the struggles that we're dealing with of like, <laughs> yeah, a male wants to come work for you, but he's kind of intimidated or a female wants to come work for us. And she's kind of intimidated. Um, anyway, so that was, yeah. I know it was a hard question. I really appreciate you answering that. It one. is tricky. I think the ultimate goal for us is to be able to have enough people on our team, a diverse group of team members that our clients feel representation in our leadership in general. And so the big picture for me is having a group, a diverse group of leaders, firm leaders identified um, so that you can go, oh, this is somebody that I think I could work with and they could reach out to that person directly as opposed to having to feel like, oh, this firm is X and that doesn't mm -hmm. represent me. And so that's what we're looking into now is that we're a certain size. 
um, sort of building up practices for hiring uh, that are, you know, removing that sort of unconscious bias that we probably have because we're women and we maybe relate to women better without realizing it, similarly to you guys being all dudes and <laughs> relating to guys uh, on a different level. Um, so writing and creating practices that will strip that away and make sure that we really truly are just hiring the people that are most qualified and that align yes. with our values. Yes, absolutely. Okay, last question. Yeah. And then I got to head to a sales meeting. Uh, <laughs> knowing what you know now, um, if you could go back in time two years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, man, not to have a single client as <laughs> your main <laughs> revenue stream for so long. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah, that was, um, I knew better. You know, having all of your eggs in one basket is, is risky. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we started. That was how I was able to start building a, a firm and hiring people because it was a large enough job that it needed a team and I scaled up. But my mistake was assuming that that would continue that way for indefinitely um, as we expected and not sooner investing in sales and marketing techniques to really have a strong business development um, background and understanding of what needed to be done and creating a more diverse revenue stream. <laughs> and so when that stopped, when that changed, it was shocking. Oh God, I, mean, I had a very like stressful panic attack mode where like yeah. I have this team now and I have to get things into gear and, and get some work for us right away. So I think that that would be uh, the biggest thing that I would have changed. Yeah. 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 Great answer. Uh, Leah, it has been a pleasure talking with you. This was a very fun conversation. Um, yeah, if people want to, if people want to find you and connect with you, where can, where can they go? Um, I'm everywhere online personally as Leah, Alyssa. That's like, if you use that handle on anything, it's there. Okay. But if you want to contact my firm, um, it's Evia studio on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter's Evia studios for whatever reason, somebody took Evia studio, but mm. I, so I'm Leah, Alyssa at gmail.com or you can find me at Leah at eviastudio.com or just eviastudio.com. We're all on there. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for being on. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me. Bye.